0: Welcome to Raising Consciousness with me, Lou Burrows, where raising human consciousness happens. On this show, I'm joined by guests to cover a range of topics and have conversations that will raise human consciousness for current and future generations. Now, let's dive into today's show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Raising Consciousness with me, your host, Lou Burrows. And I'm not quite sure how this has happened. But I'm open and receptive to everything that the universe provides me. So today on the show, we have a very special guest, Dr. John Diamante. You probably know who he is because he is a uh, world-reowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, author, and global educator who has written over 40 books. And at the moment, he is in Iceland. We were talking beforehand like how I would love to go to Iceland as well and see the Northern Lights and everything, so I'm really grateful that John has joined me today. So without further ado, John, welcome to Raising Consciousness and thank you for being here. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Me too. Now, I'm going to start today's episode with a question that someone from our audience shared with me not long ago, actually, probably about an hour ago, because I did a few social media posts on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, to see if anyone had any questions for you. So I'm going to kick today's episode off. With a question from one of my good friends ryan hartley who runs his own podcast and his own community always better than yesterday he messaged me and he said that you once said that the purpose of love isn't happiness but authenticity and could you expand on that so i don't know if you remember that but i'm gonna throw that to you to kick today's episode off
1: okay great so i think most people have moments in their life where they have perceived themselves exaggerating themselves, puffing themselves up, inflating themselves, self-righteous, arrogant, puffed up. And that's an inauthentic persona, mask, or facade that we're covering our true nature, true being up with. And we typically do that When we look down on other people, we tend to project our values onto the people and look down on them and exaggerate us. So that's a moment of inauthenticity. We also have moments where we self-depreciated and deflated ourselves and minimized ourselves and exaggerated somebody else and put them on a pedestal and put ourselves in the pit. And that's a moment of inauthenticity. And those are both moments of judgment of ourselves relative to other people. If we put people down, we exaggerate ourselves, we put people up, we minimize ourselves. But if we actually have a moment of self-reflection and pure reflective awareness, where we actually are not judging them, but we're realizing that they're a reflection of ourselves, what we see on the outside is us. We're no longer too humble or too proud to admit what we see in others inside us. And we have just love, authentic state, We're not exaggerating, minimize it. We're being ourselves. And so love is an expression, that authentic say state where we have equanimity within ourselves, equity between ourselves and others. We tend to have sustainable fair exchange in our communication and our contribution and reception. And we maximize our potential in that state. And I believe that all the symptoms of our physiology, psychology, and sociology are all getting us feedback mechanisms like a homeostat to try to get us back to our authentic self. And if we are aware and look at life through those eyes and see that everything is on that way, not in the way for that objective, we can be grateful for our existence and realize it's trying to help us love and appreciate and value, caring enough to communicate effectively with other people. Because when we're, puff ourselves up, we pretend to become narcissists. We could try to get something for nothing that eventually humbles us. If we beat ourselves up, minimize us, So we tend to altruistically sacrifice for other people until we eventually get resentful and want more. And eventually nature forces us homeostatically back into authentic self to maximize our full potential on the planet. So I say that love is an expression of our highest value and everything is going on to try to help us love.
0: I love that. What are some like internal shifts that we are to go through to get back to that neutral state? If we really open our minds to what's happening
1: around us, I think it's not hard to see that the second we get puffed up, we attract criticism and challenge to bring us back down. I always say that if we get really up, we attract tragedy. Moderately up, we get challenge. Next, we get to humbling circumstances and events we get distracting low priorities to try to bring us back down into authenticity. And if we go down, we get comedy to lift us up, support building, exp- experiences, support going up. And we eventually go back to high priority things to get us back. If we puff ourselves up, we tend to set too big a goals and too short a frame to humble us. And if we beat ourselves up, we tend to set too shorter goals, too smaller goals and too long a time frame to lift us. Nature's always trying to get us back into the, all we have to do is open our eyes and see that nature and life is trying to help us become authentic where we maximize our efficiency and effectiveness as a human being to fulfill our lives and to contribute and make that difference that we want. Our own unique expression of our own values give us uniqueness and we wanna make a difference by standing out, being authentic, then fitting in, diluting ourselves
0: and trying to be something we're not. Amazing. Can sometimes like our own ego get in the way of that? And if so, how do we manage that? I'll differentiate
1: between Freud's true ego which is reasonable and objective and the false ego, which is pride, which have been confused in many pieces of literature. When we live by what's the highest in our values, we tend to achieve and walk our talk. We live spontaneously expanding ourselves and we tend to expand our potential. And some people have confused that in the literature with being exaggerating ourselves. It's not, it's actually expanding who we are. So our true ego is not something to get rid of. Our true ego is something to be appreciative of, but it's the false ego, which we sometimes call pride that eventually humbles. us. The hubris comes from the false ego, where we exaggerate ourselves. An individual that is living by what their highest value is. They're spontaneously acting are walking their talk and living with integrity and doing something that contributes in sustainable fair exchange manners is a individual that's authentic. And their ego is somebody that is inspired to be around. But when somebody has, feels insecure and they're unconscious of their insecurities and they're conscious of their exaggerated self and go into pride, we eventually want to bring them down. If I walked in a room and let's say somebody praised me and said something nice about me, if I walked in a room and I humbled myself lower than what they wanted to imagine me to be, they keep lifting me. If I was to say, somebody said, oh, you're great, Dr. DiMartin, I go, oh, thank you. But talk to my girlfriend. She has a different view and I do my best and you minimize. They'll just keep lifting you. But if you walked in and they said, oh, you're amazing, or Dr. DeMarte, and I go, you have no idea how amazing I am. I'm more amazing than you can even comprehend. You're beneath the awareness of what it takes to realize how amazing I am. You immediately go, asshole. <laughs> you really cut me down and criticize me because I'm now puffing myself up with my pride. So if I exaggerate myself more than what you believe I am, you'll critique me to bring me down. That's the social feedback. And if I minimize myself, you'll tend to lift me up to try to get me into what you, at least you perceive. But nature's trying to get us to authenticity. And so that's the beauty of the social feedback system and psychological and physiological feedback. I believe the symptoms in our body through the autonomics and epigenetics are trying to guide us back into whole well-being, homeostasis, authenticity. Do you feel like sometimes we
0: fight nature?
1: It's our animal nature that tends to want to avoid predator and seek prey and to tend to have subjective bias and distorts this. But our, if you want to call it the angelic nature, our truer nature is designed to help us become this authentic equilibrated self, this equanimity self. So we have two aspects of our nature. I call it the executive function in our forebrain and our amygdala, which is more of our survival. But they in, in brain physiology and psychology area, they have systems one and systems two thinking. Systems one is an emotional feeling before thinking for survival, to avoid predator and see prey, and the other one is systems two thinking. Where we thinking before we react. Systems two thinking, this is to our advantage because it gives us governance. But systems one is there for an emergency for survival. One survival, one survival. Our real nature depends on which one we're using. Our real nature is to survive. If a tiger's coming after us, we need that one to survive. That's our nature. But under normal settings, the other nature is the one that comes online. And I'm, I try to
0: train people on how to master their lives and have self-governance. I haven't heard it explained like that before. And so I think that would be really valuable for our audience. Do you feel like sometimes that we are operating from the animal survival, let's call it, and to obviously get back to the the other type, ultimately, like, how do we do that?
1: The quality of our life is based on the quality of the questions we ask. And the questions we ask are the ones that make us conscious of the unconscious. Let me elaborate on that. If you meet a pretty girl, I know I'm being biased on this because of the traditional bias, but you could be interested in a girl as a girl or a guy, but whatever it is, let's say you see somebody you're attracted to, infatuated with, take out the gender and put in an attraction. When you do it, you're probably under a subjective bias. Your blood glucose and is going down to the amygdala. The amygdala is going to create an impulse to seek it because it's going to be conscious of the positives and unconscious of negatives as a false positive mechanism to try to make sure it captures its prey. It wants to go after that which it infatuates with. But if it's somebody to reuse it now represents a predator. It now has a subjective bias, a false positive on the negatives in order to avoid that, get that adrenaline going to get out of the way of the tiger and get in favor of capturing the gazelle, if you will, or the rabbit. And as long as we're in survival mode, we're going to skew subjectively with our bias and see things in an animal nature. And we're also going to be conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides or conscious of the downside to unconscious of the upsides and not fully conscious. The Zen state of full consciousness occurs when you transcend the animal nature, awaken the angelic nature, the bodhisattva, the enlightened nature, and see both sides and not react and not fear survival mechanisms, not fear that we're a a mortal being, we're an immortal soul that can't be eaten or destroyed. It's called the essence of our being is this immortal essence that we don't have these subjective biases to to contend with. So. How do we do that? We ask questions that allow us to see what we're unconscious of, to bring our minds into balance, where we fear, we don't fear the loss of something we seek. We don't fear the gain of something we're trying to avoid. We don't fear at all. We don't have a fantasy or a phobia. We don't have philia or phobia, which are the two poles of the magnet of the animal mind. We see both sides simultaneously, as Wilhelm Wood says, and we're graced by the presence of that immortal presence of now, where there's no time, because in order to run away from something or seek something, we got to add time. We have the arrow of time, which is entropic and we age with. So if we ask questions that make our minds see both sides simultaneously and become fully conscious, not divided in conscious and unconscious ways, we transcend
0: those entropic being processes that make us survive. I know that you are huge on gratitude as well, and so for me, as I'm Hearing this, I feel like gratitude can bring us back to that centered space, ultimately. Do you agree with that? And yeah, I would love to talk through your thoughts on this. Yeah, I've been doing, keeping a gratitude document for 50 years. I was born on Thanksgiving
1: Day. So my mom told me when I was four to make sure I count my blessings. Those that are grateful for what they have, they get more to be grateful for. What's interesting is the executive center, the self-governing center, where we see things reasonably and objectively is also called the gratitude center. Because when we do, we're in a state of grace, in a state of gratitude. But I've been teaching a program called the Breakthrough Experience for about 33 and a half years. And in there, I ask people to take something they're infatuated with, highly infatuated with some individual and somebody they highly resent. And then we identify what specific trait, action or inaction do you perceive this individual displaying or demonstrating that you admire most or despise most. And then we go inside with reflective awareness and we ask to ourselves, all right, self, go to a moment where and when I perceive myself displaying or demonstrating that behavior. And we own those traits quantitatively, qualitatively. And I've been doing that for about 37 years and I haven't found a trait that I saw on the outside that I couldn't find on the inside. We're all reflective that way. And when you finally own the traits, you realize nothing's missing in you and you have quite a bit of fulfillment. So once we own the trait, and then we balance it by going, okay, the trait that we admired in there, their downsides. What are the downsides? We ask, what are the downsides? The trait we despise, what are the upsides? And we go in there and, and with our intuition, go in there and find out and level the playing field. And the moment we see that it's neither positive nor negative, the moment we do, we have perfect equilibrium in the mind, perfect equanimity and equity between ourselves and them. Automatically, tears of gratitude come out. So gratitude is a perfectly equilibrated state of mind that opens the heart. And the way it does it is that executive center that comes online when your objective of the, the right in the hypothalamus, that automatically goes into the intercardiac network, the intercardiac network that literally gives the people the feeling that the heart's open and it brings a, an autonomic balance to the heartbeat. A circadian systems are balanced. And the sinoatrial node is firing off and there's a perfect balance of the heart flow. And we feel that as an open heart. So a perfectly equilibrated mind is grateful. It opens the heart and we feel love. So I've been demonstrating that for 30 plus something years. And so they're, they're all the same. When we're in a state of objectivity, which means neutrality and a state of grace, where we see that there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to change in others relative to us. There's nothing to change in us relative to others. There's nothing to fix. It's just thank you. We have the most powerful mm-hmm. healing state, most powerful relationship state, most powerful business development state. Peter Lynch in his One Up on Wall Street said that when he's picking stocks for investments for, for Fidelity, he says, I'm looking for people who are grateful for their job, loving what they do, inspired by the vision, enthusiastically working. They're certain about their skill and they're present with the client. And if you do that, you're going to, if you buy
0: into a company like that, it's going to appreciate value. And gratitude is a byproduct of those states. How can we embody this? Somebody could right now get a piece of paper and just write down everything they're grateful for. And I feel like there's a difference between that and actually stepping into the frequency and really embodying. What we're talking about, right? What's the difference in your perspective between the two, and how can we step into where we become great like gratitude? There is no separation between us and it if that makes sense.
1: There's two types of gratitude. I call one a superficial animal gratitude, and the other one a deep angelic gratitude, if you will. you use as metaphors as an animal and, and angel here. Angel meant messenger of light. an enlightened being is one that's an angelic. they call it the guardian angel, the executive center sometimes. But what happens is false gratitude or superficial gratitude is when somebody does what you want and they're appeasing you and pleasing you and giving you something and you're going, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're, and it's easy because you're getting prey and not predator. But true gratitude is when you see that prey and predator are coming at the same time, they're in perfect equilibrium and you get a perfect order out of both. Cause if you get prey, right. if imagine if somebody praised you and just said nice things about you and you didn't have challenge, you could get puffed up in pride, and you'd go into inauthenticity. If you got somebody that, pray, that challenged you and criticized you, you could get down and be inauthentic. But if you have somebody doing both at the same time and you're fully aware of the praise and the reprimands simultaneously, and it centers you into authenticity, the gratitude for both simultaneously is a deeper grace. And it's that gratitude that transforms physiology and is the one that I'm interested in. That's the one that I document every day that I'm grateful for. The one, it's easy to go and write down thank yous for things that support our little values. But when all of a sudden things challenge it, we don't come up with thank you. We come up with funk you, if that makes any word. We don't have to, we have another word for it. When you put the two together simultaneously, you get true gratitude. True gratitude is the awareness of the hidden order that's in the apparent chaos. If you get a if you get prey without predator, you'll get gluttony and fat and you won't be fit. If you Good. get predator prey, you'll get amazed and starve, you won't be fit. But if you put prey and predator the two together, you get fit. And it's been shown in chaos theory that support and challenge at the same time brings maximum growth and development. So true gratitude, which is a Seeing the hidden order, which is being fully conscious of both sides, the conscious and the unconscious, is the one that maximizes growth. And that's what, I, in a program I teach called The Breakthrough Experience, I teach people how to obtain that state, a scientific reproducible way to go to that state, no matter what's happening in your life. So it, it, the world outside
0: you doesn't run you, the world inside you runs you. I love that. And so in terms of these two different ends, do you feel like in society at large, it's either what, one or the other it's either like black or white if we look towards the news or we look towards maybe in our communities or whatever it is there's either a lot of praise or there's either a lot of challenges and do you see that and then maybe that's why we don't recognize both and aren't actually then fully grateful for both would we'll love to get your thoughts on that
1: i'm not a, the only time i watch tv is if i'm on it to see how i did <laughs> i don't do much tv watching I would say that the truth is never in the hands of the masses with mass TV. That's not, you're going to get misinformation, subjective biases, prejudices, you're going to get sensational black and white things that grab your attention because it's a commercial system. You know, it's trying to sell airtime. It's not interested in truth. It's interested in sensationalism. I would much rather read a great text by a great mind who's left a mark in the world that's wisdom and fill my mind with that than I would mass media. Unless I'm going on there to do something. And in some cases I get to do it. I find the podcast sometimes have been more conducive for sharing great ideas and some on TV. I was doing a, a wall street uh, interview one time on finance and economics. And there was a guy in there with a dartboard throwing darts at a computer readout of a bunch of stocks. And wherever the dart hit, he would tell people that's the hot stock for the day. And I said, well, that's all BS. That's the, just, you just came up with that. He says, yeah, because. Most people aren't really interested in knowing the truth about what's going on in the market. They just want to know the hot tips so they can tell their friends that so it sounds like they're doing good. And I just thought, wow, what a crazy thing to be doing on TV. I'd rather use the TV yeah. to actually be meaning, offer something that's meaningful. But not everybody's interested in that. They want sensation. It grabs their attention. So that's why the mass media does that. It sells sensation. What yeah. it, That one gentleman said, the, the only history that's worth anything is the history you make today.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Something else that that came up for me was where does self-esteem sit within everything that we're we're talking about? Obviously, we're talking about the the spectrum. I feel like self-esteem plays a part in that. Self-esteem, I I differentiate
1: self-worth from self-esteem. When we are puffing ourselves up and looking down on people and thinking we're better than them, that's an elevated self-esteem that's inauthentic. When we minimize ourselves and look up to somebody intimidated, we're minimizing ourselves. That's a low self-esteem and that's inauthentic. When we bring those two together and put them in a blender and make one thing that's the center, the authentic self, that's true self-worth. And our true self-worth is pretty stable compared to the fickleness of the self-esteem that are gyrating all over the place throughout the day. So I always say that I'm not here to raise people's self-esteem because what that does is get to false pride. I'm interested in helping them honor themselves as a human being and stop comparing themselves to other people see if a person compares their daily actions to their own highest value and lives by priority and does the most important meaningful and most inspiring and fulfilling things that contribute to people their self-worth is going to go up and it doesn't matter what the self-esteems do they gyrate all over the place but if you're sitting there comparing yourself to other people all day long and putting yourself above or below, you're going to be gyrating and the external world is going to run you all day long. I'm not interested. I'm interested in doing what I I already know what my values are. I know what the highest priority is. I stick to priorities. I delegate everything else away. I stick to what I do best, which is teaching, researching, and writing. And I travel the world doing that. And then I let go of everything else. You're not going to live a very inspired and masterful and fulfilled, grateful life. If you're doing low priority things, you devalue yourself. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions, it's going to fill up with low-priority distractions. And distractions are impulses and instincts because of subjective biases because we put people on pedestals of pits. We're not here to judge other people. We're not here to put people on pedestals of pits. We're here to put them in our heart and have reflective awareness and then state a priority and contribute that priority as a service to other people and try to do it in a way where
0: they fulfill their highest priorities. So if we have somebody who's listening or watching this right now, and they feel inspired from today's episode, but they don't know or they aren't consciously aware of what their high priorities are, what would be your message to them? I've been studying values and prioritizations and everything
1: since 23, I'm 68 now. I've been doing it a bit, 45 plus years. And one thing I can do on my website, drdmartinia.com, there is a free private value determination process that I've built and developed over the last 45 years that is being used all over the world. And it's a very simple process. It's free. All you have to do is go to drdmartine.com, go look for, determine your values, follow it and go through it. And it'll take about 30 minutes and it's got 13 questions. Because if you just ask people their values, they're gonna tell you a bunch of social idealisms. They're gonna tell you what they think it should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be. I've been doing value determination since 23. And I am absolutely certain that people lie to themselves because they don't know. They, but see, your life demonstrates your values. And what happens is people are comparing their life to other people that they admire and then inject those values and they confuse themselves and cloud what's really important to them. But you gotta look at what their life demonstrates. So this value determination process on the website, it looks at how do you fill your space? How do you really spend your time? What is it that energizes you? What exactly is your, where's your money going? Where, why you, what are you buying? That tells you what you value. Where are you most organized? Where are you most disciplined? What is it that you're thinking about, visualizing and internally dialogue with yourself about, about most, about how you want your life to be that shows evidence of coming true? What What are you talking to other people about most? What is it that inspires you, brings tears to your eyes? What is it that's a consistent goal that you're actually achieving? And what is it you spontaneously wanna learn? It's going through and taking and getting objective data on what your life demonstrates, not what you fantasize. Because I've asked people, I was in South Africa, I was in front of about 5,000 people and I said, how many of you wanna be financially independent? Everybody put their hands and legs in the air. I said, how many of you are? All their hands went down. I said, you all have a fantasy of being financially independent, but what you really want is the lifestyle, of the rich and famous, you wanna meet a gratification of buying consumables that depreciate in value and you're not gonna get wealthy that way. So as long as you don't get grounded about what's really it takes to be a wealthy, you're gonna keep wondering why you're 99% of the population that isn't financially independent. So most people don't really realize what their values are. And that's why I put this thing on the website together. And at Goldmine, if you do it, take the time, it's worth 30 minutes of your time. And then start prioritizing your life according to what you discover and be honest with the
0: answers that it's asking. Can our values change as we go through our life?
1: Yes. Oh, they will. When I was uh, three to about 12 or so 13, baseball was my thing from about nine overlapping that to about 18 surfing was my thing from 18 till now it's teaching and researching and learning. And I'm hoping that it becomes international sex symbol as I get over 70. (laughs) I'm joking about that.
0: No, I'm joking. I'll probably be teaching it till that day I pass. Excellent. No, I asked that because I can recognize how sometimes we may be have like new values that we're stepping into, but still living from old ones because we feel like, I don't know, we have to, or whatever story we tell ourselves. And so I also feel like. It's okay that actually, as we grow and we evolve and we get older, that our, value, our values are going to change. So I just wanted to that.
1: The hierarchy of your values dictates how you perceive, decide and act and therefore your destiny, but a destiny is a destination and the series of destinations all make up the life journey. The life journey has a series of destinations that based on those values, but those values can change. You can go through a divorce. You can have a child, you can have a health issue. You can have a cataclysmic event the values can change cataclysmically or gradually, little tweaks that make change. If you live by your highest values, it's usually a small incremental change that's adapting. If you're living by lower values, you have to hit bottom and a cataclysmic event usually has a change to make you have a change in values. But people's values are shifting through time. My value has been a teacher for the last 50 years, but what I've taught has evolved and how I've taught has evolved, but the teaching has been consistent. I'll probably
0: keep that one probably throughout the rest of my life. So guys, I highly recommend taking, is it like a quiz or a program? It's, it's a 13 question error
1: that okay, holds you accountable to make you look at what your life demonstrates. When I ask people mm. what they say, they, what they want in life and what their life demonstrates, if they're not matching, there's a lie. So I'm trying to get rid of the subjective assumptions and let's get down to what your life is really demonstrating that's true for you. Because my life demonstrates yeah. researching, writing, and teaching. You can't miss it. I do it every day, seven days a week. But if I was to tell you, I want to be an international and well, there's no life, there's no demonstration of that. Yeah. So people can make <laughs> up stuff all day the long. They can be made up all kinds of stuff. But the reality is what your
0: life demonstrates. I'm interested in what your life demonstrates, not the fantasies that you're holding in your life. Excellent. Yeah, I will link that down below. So what's for you, what's the difference between us having dreams and goals and aspirations, and then obviously. Having fantasies and the stories that we tell ourselves that keep us like where we are and repeat, et cetera, et cetera. What's the difference between the two?
1: Okay. The executive center, the forebrain, which is a media prefrontal cortex, which is a governing center to the amygdala, which is the impulse and instinct center, is trying to transform fantasies into true objectives. And goals can be all along that spectrum from fantasy to objective. Now, fantasy is, if I was to imagine this, let's say you meet a girl and you're infatuated with her and you think, oh my God, I'm going to get more advantage and disadvantage, more positives and negatives, more nice to me, more kind and cruel, more pleasure than pain out of this one. That's a fantasy. Because eventually you're going to find out after a day, a week, a month, a year, five years later, you're going to find out that the lady is not what you thought. And you're going to discover there's just as many downsides as upsides. And then you're going to learn to love her. Because Remember, love is the balance of the two. So the executive center is trying to calm down the subjective bias, which is making you blind by infatuation and trying to get you back into an objective and think of the downsides and then prepare to mitigate the risk, the downside, there's never a reward without a risk. And so if you're not prepared for the risk and not neutralizing the fantasy, you'll go after a fantasy and then get hit by unexpected distressful nightmares. So the addiction to fantasy is what breeds our nightmares. The addiction to elation is what breeds our depressions. The addiction to support gets our challenges. But when we embrace both of them together, we max we master our life and we set real objectives. But think about a young boy who's 12 years old who loves video games. The second he conquers a video game, he's going to want to go after a challenging game, a more inspired, challenging game. That's his natural thing. When we're living in our executive center and we're doing something we really love that's really high in priority, we pursue challenges that inspire us and we like challenges that inspire us. When we're not doing something that's priority, we're down in our amygdala. We want to avoid challenges and look for ease. We want support without challenge. We want ease without difficulty. And that's a fantasy. And life is going to smack you with unexpected difficulties. And people that live searching for happiness all the time are the ones that are saddest. The people that embrace both the support and the challenge and the positives and negatives and the balance of life, they're the most fulfilled in life because they have a reasonable objective way of looking at life. And so the executive center is designed to transform these fantasies of the amygdala into objectives. The amygdala needs a fantasy temporarily under emergencies to get away from the predator and to go and capture the prey. But the second we've eaten and we don't have a predator, time to get back in objectivity and be able to function because we won't, we're in survival with the amygdala. We're
0: in thrival when we're in the executive function. So, one thing that I am um, that I am mystified by is that how I would love to have learned all of this and everything that I've learned about just like everything from a spiritual sense to personal growth when I was back at school. Like instead, I was learning about butts and burners and God knows what. And I'm a huge. I believe that you've done some work with Mind Valley, and I'm a huge advocate of Mind Valley and a member there as well. And so I, I would just, as I've got you, I would love to know, um, and pick your brain on like, why do you believe that this information isn't taught to us and help us? Like when we're younger, when we are at school or college or uni, I know there's different systems around the world, but yeah, it's just like, this is education, right? Not necessarily some of the crap that we learned like over, t- over 10 years ago. So we'd love to pick your brain. Around. I've got a quote
1: in one of my courses that I teach. And I don't have it in front of me or I'd read it to you, but it was done by the Rockefellers, Teddy Rockefeller, and when he was helping and contributing financially to the educational system, and he said, we want to bring education to the masses, but we don't need to make everybody an executive or an entrepreneur or a leader or the true leaders of the world. That's for a special education. What we need is the workers. We need worker bees. (laughs) <laughs> so the education was designed for the worker bee, the general education. Now there's special education for the, wor- for the non-worker bees, but general education was for the worker bees, because you won't find a class on how to become a multimillionaire in elementary school or in high school, probably, or even in college, probably, uh, unless you go to a special schooling where they have more specialized education. So it was meant for the masses. It was meant for workers. And so I don't even, I was blessed to not even go to high school. I wasn't a high school guy. I was living on the streets at the time. So I ended up going back to school later when I had my own mission, but I've been involved in the personal development field for 50 years. So I, I wanted to go and mentor and find out what the people that are doing, the real th- movers and shakers out there, what are they doing? What are they learning? But I didn't, ha- I don't, I never even had the expectation that the, those schools were supposed to teach me that I knew that if I wanted to go out and do something extraordinary, I had to go get extraordinary education so that's what you're doing yeah. You're bringing extraordinary education we're trying to bring extraordinary education not ordinary education but ordinary education serves a purpose because not everybody can be a ceo everybody can be a leader you can't have all leaders there's you do not know, have a social structure so is it the question is where do you want to play in the game of the social structure i believe right now with the internet and what we have access to and global impact. Anybody could play in any area and how, where they want to go. If they get the right education, they'd go right to the top and do something extraordinary and do amazing things and become, I'm a, i set out when I was 17 years old to, to be a teacher. I, at 18, I, I, decided I wanted to master my life at age 18. I defined what that was. I divided life up into seven areas, a spiritual quest. I want to have an inspired mission. I wanted to have a business that went globally. I wanted to have a, a to wake up my genius. I want to have financial independence. I want to have a global family. I want to have social influence, meet amazing people on the planet. I want to have physical vitality, and I want to have some sort of contribution that inspired people on the planet. So that was defined. I laid it out. Then I asked, okay, where do I get the most impactful education and stand on the shoulders of giants to get that? And it's not going to be at school, the average school. It's going to be in finding out who are the greatest individuals in each of those fields and what have they done. Extraordinary people that left extraordinary wisdom and go and stand on the shoulders of those people. So that's what I've been doing for 50 years, studying the greatest minds, the greatest leaders, the greatest
0: fields. Sometimes I sense that there's like this message of we need to be build the next apple to be extraordinary, right? Again, like not everyone can do that, right? They might not want to, they may not have whatever it is. Do as individuals, we find our, in a way like if I said, we find our version of that, does that make sense? Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and, and is that what really like the purpose of our life is to find our version of that and not live somebody else's version of that ultimately?
1: Yeah. That's the thing about authenticity. Rose Kennedy, I was given a gift by one of my patients many years ago, whose father knew the Kennedy family and he was a well-respected guy and he knew the Kennedy. So the Kennedy gave them a gift. It was a book on magnetism, (laughs) personal magnetism. And she, he handed it down to his daughter and the daughter gave it to me as a gift. And I was flipping through this book as over hundred years old. And as I came across it, I found an actual handwritten note by Rose Kennedy of the Kennedy family. And it was her mission statement. I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. So a mission, what isn't purposeful is an individual selection that each individual has based on their voids and values. And if it's raising a family, then that's their mission. If if it's about running a business, then that's their mission. If it's about running and pole vaulting and being a champion, that's their mission. If it's having a farm, that's their mission. Spiritual quest, I don't judge what that is. It just needs to be authentic to who they are. And then they'll have a hierarchy of values in there and they'll excel in certain areas and maybe not in others. But my dream was to go and empower all areas. Because I I believe that any area of our life we don't empower other people are going to overpower us. If we don't empower ourselves intellectually, we'll be told what to think. If we don't empower ourselves in business; we'll be told what to do. If we don't empower ourselves in re- money, we'll be told what we're worth. If we don't empower ourselves in, fa- in family and in relationship; we're going to be told honeydew stuff around the house. If we don't empower ourselves in social causes, we'll be told misinformation by the media, the mass media. If we don't empower ourselves physically, we'll be told what drugs to take and organs to remove. If we don't empower ourselves spiritually, we'll be taught some geocentric aristotle dogma of some form of the past so if our job is to empower it so i set out to go and empower all of them but that doesn't make mine more better or worse than anybody else's it's whatever's true to that individual their calling and their highest value what they feel fulfilling that is to me the ultimate objective for their life that's fulfillment not trying to compare themselves to other people and go oh my should i should do this i ought to be doing this Anytime you hear yourself saying, I should, I ought to, I supposed to, I got to, I have to, I must, and I need to, you're trying to live in somebody else's values. Anytime you say, you should, you ought to, suppose supposed to, got to, have to, and me to, you're trying to get somebody else to live in your values. Both of them are futile. They can be fatal, and they're basically dissipating energy instead of
0: using it wisely on what's priority in a way that serves other people and their priorities.
1: That's the master
0: of the game. In the time that we have left, what are some final thoughts or words of inspiration that you have that you would love to to share with our audience today? The magnificence of who you
1: are as a human being is far greater than any fantasies you would pose on yourself. So giving yourself permission to shine as you, you know, Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Einstein said, my contempt for authority is what made me one. And I'm a firm believer that it, why be second to being somebody else when you can be first to being you? Why live in the shadows of anyone when you can stand on the shoulders of giants and recognize that whatever in them you have already, nothing's missing it. And to give yourself permission to allow that to come out. And people are so worried about what people will think. And there's so many moral hypocrisies that people are trapped in. Give yourself permission to transcend the moral hypocrisies of the collective and get on with being a selective individual and prioritize your life and go after what's really meaningful to you. At first you'll be ridiculed, you'll probably be violently opposed, but eventually you'll be self-evidently demonstrating what's true. Give yourself permission to be that unique individual that you already are.
0: I love that. I was interviewing this, this guy probably about two years ago now. And he was talking about how so often we worry about and think, well, what would this person say? This person say my spouse, my brother, my parents, whatever it is. And when we actually stop and think about it, those are our faults, so they are not those other people's faults. Like we can, we don't know what their faults are. So you'll think, and so I just find that amazing that we're here, sometimes worrying about like what other people are going to think, but those are actually our faults. I call it the law of lesser pissers. Excuse the expression here. Lawless. <laughs> no right. You have a
1: choice of pissing others off yourself. Choose to piss others off because you're not gonna. You're gonna live with yourself your whole life. These other people are gonna be transient. And by the way. Mm nobody's going to get up in the morning and dedicate their life to your fulfillment. They're going to be dedicating their life okay. to their fulfillment. They're going to be projecting onto you their value system to try to get you to help them fulfill their value system. And everybody's going to love you according to what they value. Your mother, she may have a high value in relationship and she'll keep saying, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have grandkids?" Your father may say, when are you going to start saving money and investing money or something? Everybody's going to project their values onto you but you need to find out and filter through that and find your own and find out what's true to you and then do it in a way that serves them. And then you've liberated yourself from their response because when you do things that help other people fulfill their values, they give you freedom. When you do things that challenge their values, they try to put constraints and project onto you what their values are so they don't feel stressed. So you liberate yourself by serving people. Your freedom comes from actually disciplining yourself If you don't discipline yourself from within, you have to be disciplined from without. You get constrained from without. You want liberty? Discipline yourself to live by what's priority and do it in a way that serves vast numbers of people and watch what happens. Vast opportunity
0: and a vast fulfillment comes. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about your work? We mentioned your website before, so I will link that down below. But yeah, is it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Where's the best place? I believe I'm on all those things.
1: So, you know that, all you have to do is go to drdemartini.com and you could spend the rest of your life in education because it's just, there's thousands of podcasts and webinars and seminars and magazines and there's education there for people. And then there's live presentations and YouTubes and videos and there's what's all the social media, we've got something going on with. So you'll, you won't miss me. If you just look up my name and go on the website, you won't miss There'll be something out there. Let your conscious guide you through that whatever is there and see where it takes you. I'm not going to tell you to do this or do that, but just other than check out the values, the value determination, I know that will help you in life. I don't ever do a talk without talking about that because it's the most important thing I've found in all the years. To be authentic is to live by what's truly valuable to you. So that's the website's probably the best place to go.
0: Awesome. So I will link all that down below. So guys go and check out the description. And yeah, thank you once again for today. I've definitely learned a lot myself. I'm going to check out the value system questionnaire myself. I feel like I know my values and I live by my values, but I'm curious if I actually do. Right. So let's, uh, let's actually put it to the, the test. When you answer the questions, don't write down
1: what you think it should be, what it ought to be, what you think Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be, Uh, you know, write down what your life demonstrates. Because your life demonstrates obviously that you care about human beings and want to go and educate them and bring them valuable information to make a difference in their life. It's, it, you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't have that. Look at what your life demonstrates and answer honestly according to what your life is demonstrating objectively. Imagine a drone looking over you and watching your life and videoing it, so that it would catch you in your BS and transcend the BS and yeah. right now what's objective, and it will be eye opening and revealing and it'll give a direction. It'll help it. Anybody that does that and does it accurately
0: is thankful. It's a very useful tool. And that's what we need to do sometimes, you know, is catch ourselves in our own BS. I know that this tool is going to help. Thank you once again for today. Guys, I will be back in a couple of days' time with another episode. Have a fantastic rest of your day, and I will talk to you all soon. And for more after today's show, be sure to head on over to raisingconsciousness.show to get all of the show notes, transcriptions, videos for each episode, and a hell of a lot more. And if you got value from this episode, found it insightful, or learned a thing or two, please leave a review where you can let everyone know that this show is worth checking out. I appreciate you so much. You'll be hearing from me in the next episode.